What up, hi, wide fam? It's Dave Leonard, the real Delco Dave, and I'm here with the iconic voice of the Flyers, Jim Jackson. Jim, thanks for hanging out with us tonight, man. My pleasure. Real De- Delco Dave. All right, we got it. You, got it. you want to be called Real Delco Dave or just Dave? Dave's fine, Jim. Thanks, All man. Right. We'll celebrate <laughs> one of the uh, we were talking backstage. And I was telling that I just started doing this show. Um, one of the things I did, when I did some research, was like uh, try to figure out like what I should do to start doing this. And about eight different things I found said like try to develop your own brand. It's like just come up with your own name. So that's how I just came up with Delco Dave. It's where I'm from. Everybody's <laughs> coming up with a brand now. So you, yeah, got to do it. Yeah. So Jim, you got to call some uh, nationally televised playoff games <laughs> recently. Uh, how was that compared to calling the Flyers games for six months? Well, what I want to do when I always wanted to do from the time I was probably 12, 13 years old is call games for a team. So let's get that right out, right off the bat. That's what I really want to do. I want to be the Flyers announcer. But uh, since they weren't in the playoffs, uh, TNT was looking for some of the announcers who were not busy. Um, and um, they were they selected me as one of the guys to do some games. I was blessed, fortunate, honored to, to be one of those. And uh, it was fun. I mean, I got to work with Jody Shelley and Jean-Luc Grandpierre, uh, and it, it was a lot of fun. Um, Ashley Vice uh, also was with us, and then I we took a couple of different production teams. But it was uh, it was a lot of fun. The intensity of the playoffs, all that is great. I had had some adventures. Got to tell you, I'll probably break this on your on your show. But uh, <laughs> I did the second game completely sick with the stomach flu, so oh, man. I was uh, literally <laughs> throwing up during the game. But uh, uh, had to make it through, you know, it, it was just one of those things. I, I started feeling ill about maybe an hour and a half before the game and I knew it was happening and right before the game and then during the game and had to keep the garbage pail nearby and uh, have to thank the uh, the crew, the stage manager, especially who had to clean up my mess. Uh, but uh, it was uh, it was uh, definitely a, um, a couple of pages from my book when I retire for sure. That's awesome. Man. So, so yeah. How did Jody handle that being in the booth? <laughs> <laughs> Jody was trying to stay as far away from me as possible. A, he didn't want to get sick. B, he didn't want to get, uh, you know, splattered, as they say. So, uh, you know, I had the I had the, the garbage pail over on his side of the room, but obviously well behind him. And uh, but he was great. He was very supportive, and uh, it was uh, pretty surprised I actually made it through because he saw how sick I was. I ended up sick for about five days so it was the start of a real bad stomach flu but uh i, I would have wished it could have waited another day <laughs> but uh <laughs> or at but, least a couple uh, more hours <laughs> yeah you got to do what you got to do i mean it wasn't just the throwing up i i basically was off i mean i was not sharp uh you know when you're, you're sick you, you just feel like you're kind of floating and you're you're just not sharp mentally i mean numbers i i, I blew a goal call there it, it was not my best effort but i i just basically tried to get through it. It was, there were times when I'm thinking, am I going to make it through this? Um, and I didn't tell the producer at all. And when I went down to him after the game and everyone in the booth was like telling, Oh my God, you had to see this. This guy was up chucking all over the place. Uh, you know, the producer's like, wow, I would have never known. He said, uh, you know, that that's amazing. You made it through, but, but uh, I, I just wish I could have been better for a national game. The first game I think I was okay. I also had an adventure that game because in the second period, my stats man who Emmett, Hey, Emmett, I'm, this is not a blast of Emmett. He was a great stats guy, but he was a very emotional guy. He used his hands a lot, and he knocked a big monitor right over on top of me. Um, and I was actually leading and looking at Jody Shelley. And he, it lands on my arm, and my arm goes numb. And then I look over, and it had spilled coffee all over my notes. 
So my notes were gone for the second part of the second period and all the third period. And I was, my arm was all banged up. It was just, one of the, it's like, is this really happening? I'm getting some national games here. Does this really have to happen? But, uh, but uh, as I said, stories for the book. Well, I mean, that that's both of those stories are impressive, man. And the fact that you gutted it out and went uh, <laughs> got through the whole game stick yeah, like that. I man. mean, I, I don't miss games unless I absolutely have to. Um, and I wasn't certainly there was no choice, to be honest with you, as far as the, the stomach flu one. It's an hour and a half. If I had been sick overnight, I probably would have said to them, you know, somebody else can probably do a better job. I don't know who they would have gotten because the locals are doing the game, so they couldn't get John Kelly of the Blues. And I don't believe um, – yeah, the Minnesota local was doing the game too. So they, they couldn't, unless there was some announcer in St. Louis, Jody wasn't going to do play-by-play. So, um, you know, I don't know. I probably still would have gutted it out. But the way it happened, I mean, I went to the arena fine. Uh, yeah. We arrived, you know, three hours before the game or so. I felt fine. I didn't start feeling bad until we were actually talking to Dean Evison when I started to feel a little bit off. And then we talked to Chief. And by the time we were talking to Chief, I was starting to feel really weird. And then on the elevator ride up, I knew what was happening. It's like, this is going to be a stomach thing. And then uh, it was just a matter of, of trying to have the, the stuff happen while we were not actually on the air. We were able to do that. I was able to do it during breaks. So, um, but uh, just uh, a weird, weird afternoon and evening for sure. And then I wasn't sure I was going to be able to get home the next day because I was still really sick the next day. But I said, I, I can't sit here. I mean, TNT was nice enough to say, hey, stay there as long as you want until you get better. But uh, I, I, I had to get home. So I, I basically just didn't eat or drink anything for about 12 hours because I didn't want to be sick on the plane. So yeah. I went went home a dehydrated mess is what I did. And, <laughs> um, and then I spent two or three days at home not feeling well. And uh, now my son's sick. So I hope I, I guess I gave it oh, to him. Man. I don't know. But, so it's it's one of these things. You know, you, you deal with it. You, you can control some things in life, Dave. You can't control others. And I couldn't control that. So all I could do is do my best. My best wasn't great, but, uh, you know, I got through it. Oh, I'm sure it was great. I'll have to go back and watch that game now because I'm not oh, going to see. You'll be able to see me miscall uh, the goal by Jordan Cairo. I called him Brendan Sod. I mean, there were, there were little things that I know. Uh, my voice also by the end of the game was starting to get a little. When you're, when you're uh, you know, acids going up. <laughs> Your vocal cords, not the best thing. So I think my voice was starting to get a little weak. And um, just I was struggling with numbers and just wasn't sharp. Uh, directions were coming in from the producer. It was taking me like an extra two or three seconds to like, okay, we got to do this. I threw a flyers in there. You may remember that. Uh, I threw a flyers in there toward the end of the first period. So uh, there were, it was not, uh, but, you know, I mean, I watched it back. It wasn't nearly as bad as I it felt. Yeah, um, I was, I was saying, I watched but, both of the yeah. After we after we confirmed this, I went and watched both of the games again. I'm like, oh, I just want to watch them, you know, see if I notice anything or ask you. I don't think I picked up really on anything. So yeah, well, it's good to know, I guess. But it, it was it was a still a great experience. I, I loved working with Jody and John Luke and Ashley. Great people and very good at what they do. Uh, great production teams and uh, uh, you know, it was a series. Really, I was really looking forward to. We thought we were going to have really close games. First game that I did, game three wasn't all that close, but but game four. <laughs> Well, I was struggling along, but it was still a good game and uh, wasn't decided till pretty late. And the crowd was going crazy in that game four. Um, and that, it, it reminded me, this is playoff hockey. I haven't done a game or hadn't done a playoff game in person since 2018 because wow. the Flyers missed in 19. 2020 was the bubble. So we did the games from the Wells Fargo Center 
from the games were in Toronto, of course, then they didn't make the playoffs last year or this year. So um, it had been since 2018 since I had been in that electric atmosphere that is the Stanley Cup playoffs. And there's nothing quite like it. Um, and I've been watching the game since. Uh, and it's just a spectacular first round for the NHL. So many great storylines. The the crowds have been tremendous. And um, to be part of that in a small way was was a lot of fun. Yeah, I think this is exactly the kind of playoffs the NHL wanted and needed. With everything that's going on the last few years, this first round of the playoffs has been absolutely exceptional, I think. I mean, five game sevens over the weekend. I mean, with the exception of the Avs sweeping the Predators without UC Soros. Like, I don't think Nashville had much of a chance without Soros in there. But just about every series has lived up to expectations, I believe. Yeah, and even that sweep just showed how how good that team can be. And how good Kale McCarr in particular can be. <laughs> so, uh, you, you know, there was even something to watch that series for, even though you knew Colorado was going to win it. I'd be wary, though, of, of St. Louis. I know they swept them last year, but that's a deep, deep team. Nine 20 goal scorers. Uh, if Bennington, who took over during this series, is right, they're going to get the goaltending. Their defense is a little banged up, but Chief was a maestro in that series. I mean, he coached. He he was so he made all the right moves. He had a meeting before Game Four where he really laid into his team um, in his ways. We had a, a a tough meeting, and I asked him. I said, "Did you do most of the talking?" He goes, "Yes." <laughs> and uh, you know, he and, and they just they just played so well in Game Four and and took the series over. They didn't lose again. So um, he he's. He's one heck of a coach. Obviously, he's already won a cup, and um, he's matured as a coach too since his days in Philadelphia. You can tell he's he's got that command, that presence. He's completely in control of the situation, and um, so he was a big part of the win for St. Louis. And I can't imagine he won't be prepared with something for Colorado. Uh, yeah, Colorado's got uh, you know the advantage in high end talent, but depth of talent, I'm not so sure St. Louis doesn't have a slight advantage. Um, and, and we'll see about everything else. Defensively, Colorado obviously has the edge as far as their defense core. Um, but St. Louis might actually play a better all-around defensive game. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, that series. All the series will be interesting for sure. But uh, the first round, yeah, hard to beat five game sevens and uh, game six. And the storylines, the teams that hadn't won in so long, some of them did. Florida, um, Edmonton, some didn't. Toronto again. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but it just the 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 storylines the fan, you can almost feel the energy from the fans in relationship to those storylines and then of course the individual storylines Jake Ottinger was un, just unbelievable for the stars and Connor McDavid finally in his seventh year seems to have figured out you have to be more than just a great offensive player to to get your team to the next level you have to do everything he's doing that now which is scary for the NHL because if he is now to that level and I will. Uh, we'll point out it took him five years longer than it took Sid Crosby to get to that level. But if, if he's at that level now and he stays healthy, that's going to be a tough, tough nut to crack for the, the league. Cause he's just so talented. Um, and then Johnny Gaudreau becomes the hero in, in Calgary. And there's just so many storylines individually too. McCarr, as we mentioned earlier, um, that, uh, it, it just had everything. The, these the first round had everything. I do contest that the first round is the best because teams come flying out of the gate. You know they they've been waiting for these playoffs. Uh, they're as healthy as they're going to be over the two month stretch, and so the the first round has that energy. Not that the second, third, and certainly the finals, uh, you know, the rounds are are bad, uh, but I think that first has that energy level you just can't top. And this one had that energy level plus because it had all these long series and great storylines. So it was a lot of fun. 
Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you mentioned Florida getting their first playoff series win since 1996. Um, Were you born uh, then, uh, Dave? I, I was born in 89. Okay. Uh, yeah, right. I was around for that but one. You, 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 re- you don't remember the rats and all that. I, I, was, I, was, I remember the rats, Scott Malley, really? all that. Yeah. All right. Seven years old. That's pretty good. Yeah, I want to say, actually, and that, that's probably my earliest memory, or my earliest hockey memory. The next one is the following year when the Flyers ended up in the cup finals against right. Detroit, and we were supposed to be the next big thing. Yeah. We get swept out of that round. Yeah. At one point, I don't remember what game it was, but at one point, Detroit scores a shorthanded goal. And it's, I'm seven at the time. My aunt turns to me and goes, "Are they allowed to score in our power play?" <laughs> yeah, they are. They just they just did it. <laughs> it was your aunt, you said. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're is your aunt still with us? If she's still with yeah. us, she saw it happen a lot this year, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, no, I mean that, that I remember that 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 playoff run. You're right. It was kind of like uh, the, the Eric Lindros. You you thought as, as you moved along, and obviously kind of took the mantle from from uh, Messier and. Uh, you know, and the Rangers, and uh, it was all like kind of he was being anointed the king, right? And uh, and then Nicholas Lidstrom showed up, <laughs> and, and and you know the quiet assassin. He didn't hit him; he just nullified him completely and nullified that whole line somehow. And um, and you know the Flyers uh, never did win that cup, uh, at least obviously since they're they're the bullies. But uh, they'll get back there someday, Dave. And I know we'll talk about that at some point. I think a turnaround is a lot more uh, more imminent than a lot of people, a lot of the naysayers and people who say they're years and years away. It's just not like that in the NHL anymore. You're not years and years away, but we, we can talk about that later. No, well, I, I agree with you on that. that uh, I feel like a turnaround can happen in one season. I mean, it's just how it ebbs and flows this in all professional sports. I don't think you need to see these five, six, seven-year rebuilds. And if we are looking at that. We just went through it. I don't want to go through it again. Like, yeah. I want, I want that, the quicker turnaround. That's a good point. I mean, the, the main reason the Flyers, people like to say uh, because they haven't gone past the second round since that trip to the finals in 2010, and they've only gone to the second round two or three times in that span, um, is that they've just been bad, right? That's, well, I guess ultimately, eventually, since they haven't made it that far, you could say that. But it's just oversimplifying it because what really happened is the Flyers were on the cusp. They decided to make a change, and Peter Laviolette holds some of the blame here. He kind of mishandled the goaltenders, and we had a guy by the name of Sergei Bobrovsky, and he didn't play well in one playoff game. He was out, and then they did it. It was three goalies, and it just didn't seem to work, and Mr. Snyder had had enough, and he said, get me a veteran goalie. They went out and got Ilya Brizgalov. That set the franchise back. Uh, he was a bad teammate, uh, a decent goalie, but they had Bobrovsky. Who, you know, while while Brzezgalov was here and the the aftermath of that, Bob was winning two Vezinas. So they <laughs> they had their goalie. They let him go, and they brought in a guy who kind of didn't help the team and kind of broke. That set the franchise back. So once they had been set back, Mr. Snyder then said, "Okay, we are going to rebuild this." And Ron Hextall came in, and they went into a a patient approach which they hadn't done as a franchise in a long time if ever and you know mr snyder even as he was ill um in his last days stuck to that that patient plan and you know it looked like it was paying off in 2020 i mean from they bring in elaine vino and from mid-november to mid-march until the pause we were tied for second in the nhl in points now that's not a streak 
that's four or five months of really good hockey where they were right up there at the top of the NHL. And it certainly looked like the Provorovs, the Sandheims, the Konechnys, the Carter Hearts, that whole group of young players, they were maturing. And the veterans, the Giroux, the Voracek, the Couturiers were still young enough that this was coming together. And that was going to be it. Now, they did make it to the second round in the bubble. But the bubble, I almost throw out. Tampa did win the cup. They'll get their, they have their rings. They get their names in the cup. But it was so weird. The season was cut in half, or not even in half, but cut into two parts. And the playoffs were with no fans in the bubble. The NHL did what they had to do for sure to get the season completed and to hand out the Stanley Cup. Kudos to the league for that. But it's hard to compare that to what we're watching now with the craziness of the fans and and all the, the you're watching in a full season and and all that. So, um, you know. They made it to the second round, lost in seven games, but three of them were overtime wins. They they really weren't as close to the Islanders as seven games would appear, I don't think. They, they, they just really never got it back, Dave, after the pause because then the next season started. They won some games. Um, Niskanen surprised the hell out of everybody by retiring, and they, they didn't quite replace him. And then COVID hit, and they never recovered. Um, and then this year happened where, you know, Chuck Fletcher went out and tried to kind of get back to that team by making changes, bringing in Ryan Ellis to be the Niskanen, bringing in some other players to get bigger, like uh, just the line in and also uh, Cam Atkinson to get some shooters. Um, and I thought they were pretty good moves. Um, and then he never got to see that team play because Ellis yeah. was hurt. Uh, Couturier got hurt early. Hayes was not healthy when he came back, wasn't healthy until the very end. Uh, so they really didn't even have, it wasn't like they didn't have their full team. They didn't. Uh, they had Hayes, Couturier, and uh, Ellis for one game down in Dallas, which was the last game for Ellis, the first game for Hayes, and Couturier was already banged up but playing. Uh, but they never had those guys. They never had, you know, Farabee missed tons of time. They had over or just about almost 500 man games lost to injury. Um, so the Chuck Fletcher blueprint that he put together to try to get back to where they had been Never got a chance, in my mind, because of injuries. Now, you, you can say you can't just blame it on injuries. And you know, there's truth to that. They should have maybe had more depth in the organization, perhaps. Um, but injuries were the big reason this team went south this year. I mean, you, you just can't ignore that multitude of injuries, almost 500 man games, and the players that it hit, which was just about, when you include Carter Hart, who missed some time, just about every key player on the team, with the exception of maybe Ivan Proveroff and Travis Sanheim, uh, missed time this year. So, um, and big time. I'm not talking one or two games. So I, I, you know, it, they haven't gotten it back, but to just say cast over this last 10 years and say the organization's just been bad. Really? That's what happened. They were on the cusp. They were close. They were a contending team in 2010, 11, 12. And then boom, they, they made this goalie move that set them back a couple of years. They finally said, okay, we're going to really rebuild it. They do some drafting. They get these players in. It seems to be on the upswing. And then, COVID kind of got in the way and it all, they just never really have been able to recover. So um, it's, it's been a weird, weird stretch. But if you think back to 06, 07, that team was actually worse than this year's team record wise. The very next year they made the playoffs. And two years after that, they went to the Stanley cup finals and the system while a little different, but basically the same hard salary cap with free agency, pretty much the same as it was then. So it can be done. I mean, Paul Holmgren was masterful. In getting that thing turned around, he brought in some pretty good players, Timonen, Hartnell, Briere, uh, Marty Baron in goal, some others. Um, you know, he, he he was masterful in that, and Chuck Fletcher's going to have to make some good moves, but you can turn it around. 
and uh, you can turn around quickly. The Rangers were expected to do. They even sent out a, a message to their fans about be ready for you know a rebuild. It's going to take a little while, and they're already in the second round of the playoffs less than two years after they sent that letter out, I think. So um, the, the turnarounds can be much more quick, uh, much faster than people think. So have have hope along those lines, Flyer fans. Yeah, absolutely. You you mentioned the the 06, 07 and the I 20- try not to mention that season too often, but yeah. <laughs> but no, that that's exactly what gives me hope is that that season. I remember that. that terrible yeah. season. That was the season everybody just stood around and watched Forsberg uh <laughs> dazzle everybody. That was it. It was a one-man show for the most part. Well, and- no, he was already he was already hurt by that time. The ankle yeah, I mean, that was the skate year too. Yeah, oh, you're thinking 05, right out of the lockout in 0506. The first 20 games he uh, uh Knubel and Gagne, I think that was the best of line. That might have been better than even the Legion of Doom in terms of production those first 20 games because Peter Forsberg was – and then his foot, ankle started bothering him. And by 06, 07, he was not a sure thing to be in and – you know, he's in and out of the lineup. And, and you know, Hitchcock, it was gone. It, was, it, it, it went downhill fast um, in 06, 07. You know, they changed GMs. They changed everything early in the year. And I remember we were doing promos talking about prospects – like in November. So we were already looking to the future. Um, and so that way it was a tough year. I mean, they, they just, they, they just didn't win a lot of games and you weren't at any point thinking they were going to be a playoff team. So um, the very next year they were in the playoffs, they lost, but they're in the playoffs. Um, and then um, you think, uh, no, actually they didn't lose. They, they, they won and they, they moved on. Then they went to the conference finals two years after that to the to, you know, 2010 to the, to the Stanley cup finals. So, it, uh, the, the bottom line is you aren't looking at, oh, my, you know, they're going to be in last place for five years. It's not necessary. Now, they could be that if they don't make the right moves. They, they've got to make some moves. They're going to have to be very creative with the salary cap. Uh, more important than even that, though, is they have to have these young players actually take the steps, which I was so happy to see Travis Sanheim do that this year. I thought toward the end of the year I was seeing it from Travis Konechny as well. Uh, even Ivan Provost for last 20 games were much better than the 20 games previous to that. Maybe it's because, you know, the season was done and there's no pressure on whatever, but those players, Carter Hart certainly is vital to that. And now the young group coming in the cam Yorks and those players, they all have to be able to take a bigger bite out of this team. And then Chuck Fletcher might have to also be creative. Some of those guys might not be here because he might have to move some people out in order to bring in a real bonafide special teams dynamo or offensive dynamo uh johnny gaudreau for instance um who might be outpricing himself at this point but <laughs> but um bottom line is there, there's things that can be done to get this turned around but one of the things that has to absolutely happen are those young players have to be a healthy and be taking bigger bites out of the team so if if that happens carter hart right at the top of that list uh, i i liked what i saw from carter this year uh, until he got hurt there toward the end. Um, if he can just take another step next year, he'll be a really good goaltender. Okay, check that box off. Defensively, uh, Ryan Ellis getting healthy is really, really important. I liked what I heard uh, from the end of the season stuff where it looks like they have a definite plan now. He knows what it was. It was a lot of things. And uh, that he can get better and be ready for next year. Um, you you put Ellis in with Proveroff, and all of a sudden everything kind of Settles into place pretty well on defense. And then up front, I mean, John Couturier is a must. They have to have him. He's their best all-around forward. Has been for five, six years. So if you put him back into the mix 
And then some of these young guys, the Noah Cates, and uh, whether it's Bobby Brink or whether it's uh, Tyson Forrester or whether it's uh, Isaac Radcliffe, any of these young players, and I'm not saying they're going to be first-line guys, but they grab a role on the team next year, um, and they're going to have to because what, what are young players, Dave? They're cheap. Uh, <laughs> and they're going to need some players who are not heavy on the cap next year in order to bring in a player like uh, Johnny Gaudreau or Philip Forsberg or any of the big name free agents you see out there that are offensive players. Flyers need a weapon. They need a power play weapon in particular, but they need a weapon offensively. Um, I think that's what Chuck keeps alluding to that elite talent he keeps referring to that they don't maybe have right now. They might have some in their midst, like a Joel Farabee on his way to that uh, or some of their other young players, but they're not there yet. So they might have to go out and get one of those, add it to the young mix and see where it goes, but it can happen. And the biggest, uh, I mean, aside from the young players, I just said that was the biggest, but I lied. Um, the, actually, the biggest, of course, is the coach. And there now are some really good coaches out there. So um, you get a good coach in here with a good structure, get that defensive side taken care of. I think the offense might take care of itself a little bit, especially if you add a little bit to it. And then get Carter Hart right. <laughs> they could be in the playoffs next year. They absolutely could be in the playoffs next year. People say, oh, he's just a show for the team. No. I think they could be in the playoffs next year if what I just said transpires. And what I just said, well, you know, Charlie O'Connor, who I have tremendous respect for uh, his writing, um, has said how difficult it is to do that. It's not easy. Don't get me wrong. This is not going to be easy. He's right there. But it's possible. It absolutely is possible. We see it. It happens in the NHL. So, um, And also they've got some teams in their division, Penguins, Capitals, starting to get toward the downside. So the division co might come back to them a little bit. So there are reasons why this could be done. A playoff team next year, and maybe a year or two after that, maybe an actual Stanley Cup contender. So um, I I'm not as down on everything as everybody else. I am not an eternal optimist. People who know me know that I'm not one of these, you know, pie-in-the-sky thinkers. I, I just detail for you what I think needs to happen, and I think it can happen. It's not going to be easy, but it can happen. Jim, you're 100% right, man. And I think a point you made there near the end with the Capitals and Pens, both on their downward trajectory, when was the last time, do you remember, we talked about this a couple of days ago, nobody knew the answer, but when, uh, do you remember the last time that neither the Pens nor the Caps were in the second round of the playoffs? Probably before uh, Ovechkin and Crosby arrived on the scene. Um, and you know, with that, you're going back to before the the lockout that cost the, the league a year so you're going back to 0304 or it might have been the first year out of that lockout when they, they were rookies uh, but um yeah i mean it, they've been so good for so long and of course those are two you talk about iconic that's iconic <laughs> those two players are perhaps the best goal scorer in the history of the game and in my mind right up there with the best of all in terms of all-around players in the game. I know we don't like to, to give Sidney Crosby props in this city, but if you look at his game and, and you look at what he accomplished so fast in his career, then he had the concussions and then he came back and did it again. Um, he's, he's an amazing player. So those two players uh, have, have brought those franchises have helped. I mean, they've had help Malkin and flurry for a while in Pittsburgh and obviously Backstrom and, Carlson and some of the players, uh, Oshie, some of the players that, that Ovechkin has had. It's not uh, hockey's the ultimate team game, but those players have been the faces of those franchises and have really just lifted them. Um, so, um, yeah, it's been a long time. Having said that, the Devils are getting better. The Islanders, who knows what's going to happen with them with a new coach. 
Um, Columbus seems to be on the upswing too. So, you know, other teams are getting better as some of the other teams fall back. This, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but it's doable. That's what I'm saying. Uh, 100%. And, and I think, uh, I think it would kind of be poetic to have Philip Forsberg come back <laughs> and kind of be like, it, it'd be like the third chapter of this Flyers Forsberg, uh, story that's being written. The Forsberg, Forsberg involved in the trade with Lindros and how that goes down. Then Forsberg mm. returns, returns back to Philly. That leads to one of the worst seasons in, in franchise history. But at the same time, we come out of that stronger and end up having some solid yeah. runs. Right. I, I just feel like Philip Forsberg coming back. Would, would you just be like poetic if he becomes a superstar that elevates us back to contender status? I just don't think Nashville can let him go. That's, that's the thing. I mean, they've got issues. They've got cap issues, but he's one. I'm shocked it's gone this long, but we'll see. Well, I mean, the other name that everybody talks about besides Gaudreau is, is Nazem Kadri. Um, you know, he's 30. Um, I, I, he's probably going to get a seven-year deal. I, I don't know if, you know, you really want to – that's going to be a tough one. He's a really good player. Um, he's a two-way player. I don't think he's necessarily the power play weapon, though, that I'm looking for. I'm looking for a, an offensive stud here. Kadri's more of a two-way guy. and he certainly had an offensive year this year, but he's, throughout his career he's been more of a just a two-way grinder who can – he can score for you. He can do a lot of things. He's a hell of a hockey player, but I'm not sure he's the perfect fit for what the Flyers need. So um, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. It's going to be a very interesting offseason in so many ways. Yeah, there's so much turnover, so much transition. And with Giroux being gone, whose team is this next season, Jim? I think Sean Couturier is, is the leader of this team. You saw that in late in the year when he had no chance to play, he was still with the team, skating with the team. Um, around the team on the road. Um, I, I don't have any doubt. Uh, I remember when I did a long interview with him um, for um, for the Flyers website, actually. Um, about four or five years ago, I, I ended the interview by saying, if there was one word that you want people to use to describe you after they're done watching you play or being around you as a person, what is it? And uh, he really didn't hesitate. He said, dependable. And so outside of injuries, which have cut into it, he's he's very dependable player when he plays, and that's what you want in a captain. So, uh, you know, I, I don't uh, – they, they could go younger. They could go Provorov or something like that. But to me, um, I, I think Couturier is uh, – he's, you know, he's right about his age 30 season now. So, it you know, he, he's the, the leader. But it's really going to be about some of these young players taking bigger bites out of the team, not necessarily being captain, but – being bigger bites out of the team and obviously playing well enough to be able to do that. It's going to be one of the keys to whether this team can bounce back. Yeah. Kateri seemed like even when he first came into the league, he seemed like he was mature beyond his years. Yeah. I remember the playoff series where he just shut down Malk and basically erased yeah. the guy. And there was an interview. I don't remember what game it was after the series, but they talked to him, you know, about his play and uh, how he plays the game and approach the game. And I think he said defense and we, like 20 times like he yeah. talked in, in terms of a team like we need to do this we need to focus on defense like and, and i want to say he was like 21 22 like he was a young was. young man yeah and he came there and talked so much about team defense how we need to play together and how elevate each other and make each other better and and stop their best players it was just such a mature interview like you almost like didn't realize how young he was at the time yeah i, I never really thought of him as, as the age he, he is now now he is a veteran right but He's always seemed like a veteran, so maybe that's why I think he should be about thirty-five now instead of thirty. Yeah. But, but he's, uh, yeah, he's he's very good that way, and his game's that way too. He's got a very mature game, so 
Um, it all fits. Uh, his health is imperative. So is Ryan Ellis. Those two have to be healthy next year. Kevin Hayes. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying they have to play 82, but they got to play 70 or more. Um, and you know, it's, you'd think the, the flyers might be owed that the, the injuries they've gone through the last couple of years, but we'll see. So, so the NBA has gone into a kind of a trend where they manage their players playing time. Do you see the NHL ever doing that or the Flyers? You mentioned these guys that have some like injury history. Do you see that being something where they just shut guys down for a game or two and give them some uh, maintenance days, some rest days? Do you think that's something that anybody in the Flyers organization or any NHL player is considering? The old load management? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's against every principle of hockey. Uh, I think you'll have a tough time getting these players to, to buy into that. I can't see Sean Couturier ever saying, yeah, sure, I'll take a day off. You let somebody else do it. Um, it's just not the same mentality as the NBA. Um, I, I, and I have total respect for these NBA players, unbelievable athletes and everything. Um, and these playoffs are physical. But if you watch the regular season, I sometimes say, really? You need load management for that? <laughs> there, there's more contact in one shift in hockey than there is an entire week of NBA play in the regular season. But uh, the playoffs, it amps up. But they're not getting load management, the NBA players in the playoffs. <laughs> they're, they're playing then. So um, I, don't, I, don't, uh, I don't see that becoming part of it. I mean, you see it with goalies a little bit. No one hardly ever does a goalie playing back-to-back games um, in the regular season. Um, but I, with regular players, uh, skaters, uh, I don't see it. Um, there might be maybe a real older player you do it with, you know, a guy over 35. Um, but um, like Patrice Bergeron's in that category now. I can't see you. I can't see him just taking a game off for for rest. It's just uh, so. Um, I guess to answer your question, no, I don't see that happening. But with analytics, and if the analytics show that players are going to be a lot better if they get one game a week off or something, I don't say. I never say never. It could happen. I just know it's against the nature of hockey players to do that. So they'll probably have to to basically lock the doors and not allow those players in <laughs> in order to give them load management. Most of them. There's some that might not mind a day off. Keith Jones back in the day probably would have taken <laughs> day off or two, uh, but uh, load management might've had a different meaning for Keith, you know, I don't know. So, uh, you know, he's, but I don't think most players, and, and let me, let me say that I was completely joking because really he was a, a big time competitor. <laughs> Keith Jones, he likes to play himself off as this guy. who was just a, you know, a stumble bum as a player. He was, he was a good player and he was basically playing on one leg for all, all of his time in Philly and uh, much of his time late in his career. And uh, I remember a playoff series in 99 against Toronto, the Flyers lost that series and they only scored, I think, uh, I think they only gave up nine goals in six games, but they still lost the series, something like that. But he was their best player. I mean, Keith Jones was seriously, he was, he was a really good. So we joke about it on the air and he jokes about it all the time, but don't let him fool you. He was a very good NHL player um, and very smart NHL player um, and a competitive NHL player. So I don't think he would have even liked load management, but after the fact, looking back, he'd probably say, yeah, I take a day off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, at some point, yeah, I wonder if these guys just want to extend their career, but I, I agree with you. I feel like that, it goes against every fiber of an NHL player's being. It's just, you know, not part of the culture. It's never been something considered. So I, I agree with you. You'd have to turn off the guy's security card to not let him in the arena to play. It's what you'd have to do. <laughs> that might not even work. <laughs> <laughs> 
But uh, you mentioned uh, Bergeron and the Bruins, and I just realized that's that's another team that didn't make it out of the first round. So yeah. the Caps, the Penguins, and the Bruins all out in the first round of the Eastern Conference uh, playoffs. So th- this is truly, I think, a season of turnover. Um, and uh, is it going to be? Is this going to be Florida's conference going forward? You think? Well, I'm, I'm, they're going to have enough trouble getting by the next round. Uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, I wouldn't write those light, even with Braden Point banged up. I wouldn't write those Lightning off. They might take them seven again, but I mean, that guy in net and and with uh, Victor Hedman, who you know, Kale McCarr, uh, Roman Yossi, both had historic seasons. I still take Victor Hedman. If you tell me right now, what defenseman do you want to win one game with? Is Victor Hedman. Um, so you give me him and you give me Stamkos and all the weapons they have up front, even without point, Kucherov and all the rest. Um, yeah, let, let's let's see if they can beat Tampa before we start anointing Florida <laughs> in charge of the Eastern Conference. Uh, right now, Tampa's in charge of the Eastern Conference. They're in charge of the NHL. They've won the last two Cups, and they just knocked off a very good Toronto team. So uh, I think we might want to wait on the Florida. Florida <laughs> struggled to beat Washington. They won in six. Good for Claude Giroux, a big part of that win. But they didn't play their brand of hockey for most of that series. So their brand of hockey isn't playoff hockey. And they're going to have to prove to me that they can now beat an even better team than Washington playing playoff hockey. And Tampa's going to make them do that. It's going to should be a great series. Those two teams hate each other. Uh, hate makes for good hockey. Uh, so uh, that that should be a real fun series to watch. Tons of skill too, obviously, but it's gonna be it's gonna be a war out there. You know, Lomberg's gonna be out there stirring <laughs> things up for Florida. So um, anyhow, I just want to get you there, Dave. Just hold on with the, the plot is for Florida. They just won their first playoff series, as you said, since 1996. I don't think we can quite anoint them champions of the East just yet. What your point is though about Pittsburgh and Washington and Boston. It's at least true about Boston, but Pittsburgh and Washington haven't made it out of the first round in four years. Washington hasn't made it out of the first round since they won the cup. Pittsburgh hasn't made it out of the first round, I don't believe, right, since they won the cup. So this isn't new for them to lose in the first round. Uh, They're both still good teams, but their key players are mid-30s and up, and that is problematic, obviously. The fall-off... I think you're going to see in the regular season. They're going to miss the playoffs one of these years, one of those two teams, maybe both. Um, I don't think they've necessarily fallen off yet. I mean, Sidney Crosby hasn't fallen off at all if you watch him play. And Ovi, (laughs) he's scored 50 goals again. So those two are still going strong. But, you know, father time waits for no one. So uh, they're going to start to slip at some point. The other players around them have begun to with injuries and, and the like. Malkin is certainly not the player he once was, I don't think. Latang was just as good this year as ever, but they can't probably bring both of them back. They're both free agents. And then for Washington, you know, your TJ Oshies and players of that ilk are, are, are you know, getting up there too. So, um, I, yeah, the, the time's going to come for them. For Boston, of course, it's Bergeron. It's all about Bergeron. I mean, he's so important to that team, and we don't know yet. He didn't seem today in his comments to make any kind of grand statement. Uh, he just said he wants to play in Boston. So uh, does that mean he's going to retire, or does that mean he's going to you know, sign a cheap contract to stay in Boston? We'll see. Uh, but he is 
yeah, even at his age now, vital to that team. So, yeah, it's a, I, I, I get what you're saying. The, the winds of change are brewing in the Eastern Conference, but I don't think they've blown quite yet, <laughs> especially for Florida, because they have to beat that number one team. And now they get their shot. and It'll be fun to watch them try. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. That series is going to be incredible. And, uh, I mean, it's, if you get the two-time Stanley Cup champ, that's obviously their conference till it's not, you know. To, it's their to league quote, until yeah, it's not, right? Yeah. To, yeah. to quote Ric Flair, to be the man, you got to beat the man. And right now, there Tampa Bay's the man in the NHL. Yeah, Charlie I, Manuel said that. Oh, I guess it was Ric Flair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I will say, I was talking to some people about this. Tampa has a ton of mileage on them right now over these last few seasons. They've they played do. a ton of games, and at some point that adds up. I mean, there's a reason we haven't seen anybody win three in a row since the 80s. So it's not Very like it's true. an easy thing to do. Um, but no, absolutely. But I, just, I just watched them in game seven against Toronto. And I mean, they just, they've done it in like seven straight games. What are they giving up? Two goals in their last um, seven closeout games or something like that? I mean, Vasilevsky has five shutouts in his last six <laughs> closeout games. What is it? That's just insane. Uh, and, and Toronto was, I mean, this was not, I think, why Toronto is kind of getting a free pass from the media this year as opposed to last year when they blew 3 1 series lead to Montreal and all their other failures in the first round is because they actually played really well in this series. I mean, they are at their peak, Toronto. Austin Matthews is flying. Mitch Marner got over his demons early in that series, flying. Nylander had his ups and downs, but still a major force. Oh, you know, they have Riley. Uh, Campbell played fine in that series, he wasn't the problem. So, um, they, they got Toronto home. I I'd say at their best, the best they've been in a long time and they still beat them. <laughs> so, um, I, I don't know if Florida is as good as what, what Tampa just beat. They were regular season hockey. Florida is amazing, but there's a difference day between what you see in the regular season, the playoffs. You saw it. We all see it. And while there's still higher scoring than usual in these playoffs, much of that I think has to do with more penalties being called than usual in the playoffs. The the actual five on five hockey is still a grinded out affair. You just watch Calgary Dallas, right? It's a grinded out affair, and you have to battle for every inch. I'm not still 100% sure Florida is built for that. Um, we'll see. Um, they're certainly a uber talented team. Um, they've got uh, a defense core with Ekblad back in the mix, although we're not sure about his health, but um, that's, that's certainly good. Uyghur's got to play better. If they're going to beat Tampa, he's got to be way better. And Bob is still a little bit of a question mark back there because in his playoff history, he's had his ups and downs. But but um, hey, hey, I, I can't wait for all these four series, to be honest with you. They're all great matchups, even St. Louis, Colorado. But um, I, I, do, uh, I do think that... Uh, Florida is going to get a test uh, that um, will be quite interesting for them. I mean, they just got one from Washington. Washington was able to slow that down, that series down, for long stretches. Uh, not quite enough to win the series, but, hey, they went six in, in overtime, you know, so it's like it was pretty much a seven-game series. So uh, it, was a, it was a tough go for Florida for long stretches in that series, and I think Tampa knows how to do that. They know, you know, we think of Tampa and we think of Kucherov and Stamkos and Point and all the goals and all but they're really in, in their big games in the playoffs over these last three years. What have they done? They have just shut the other team down. And they're going to try to do that to Florida at times. So um, it, it'd be fascinating. A battle of Alberta, that's going to be fascinating. I can't wait to see Carolina. They've had a little trouble getting on uh, deep into the playoffs. And I think that team is absolutely built for the playoffs with the exception of you know goaltending, which is they've got the injury there. But if Anderson's back, 
you know, I'll be fascinated to see if the Rangers can deal with that Carolina checking in that series. And that leaves, uh, what, Battle of Alberta I mentioned? So that's the four series. I mean, Colorado-St. Louis. I mean, I, I just think that there's going to be a lot of fun. Hey, first round can't be any better than that. But I think the second round will be pretty good, too. I think uh, I think it's basically a mirror image in the Western Conference. Um, Tampa, Florida in, in the East. And then Battle of Alberta, Calgary, yeah. Edmonton. I, I think it's huge. And Edmonton, I compared them to Toronto for the last few years. They're like the Toronto of the West, like all this talent. And they just couldn't get past the first round of the playoffs. They did. They Toronto came up short, but but Edmonton went to seven. They closed out the Kings, a, a team that been a playoff performer for a decade plus. Now they were able to close them out. Do you think that's the confident boost? You mentioned McDavid earlier in the show. Do you think that's what they needed? Like if the monkey's off their back now, or is Edmonton about to elevate their game even further? It can go one of two ways, Dave. I've watched Connor McDavid very closely his entire career. I've always felt. Um, he was anointed too early, the best hockey player in the world. Uh, he's the best offensive player maybe the game's ever seen. That does not make him the best player in the world. Um, I will still offer you that Sidney Crosby did way more than Connor McDavid did in his first seven years. Crosby already had two finals appearances, a cup, a gold medal winning goal, uh, you know, by the time he was in his seventh year. He was already into the, the nadir of his concussion situation by his seventh year Connor's just getting the second round for the second time in his career and first time since his first trip into the playoffs um and he while everyone says oh they just didn't give him goaltending they didn't give him a supporting cast he has borne some responsibility in those playoff failures if you've watched him he's turned the puck over in bad situations last year two of the key goals and losses to Winnipeg in the playoffs were his responsibility if you watch the overtime goal against the Kings this year where Kane gave up the puck in game five Connor couldn't get he was overstaying a shift and he couldn't get to Kempe who went in and scored the game winning goal. And I thought, Oh my, if they lose that series, it's going to be another one where Connor just didn't quite do enough, but in game six and game seven, he literally did what I don't think he's done yet. He kind of did it late in game five until the overtime. They kind of just didn't show for the first shift, but, but so five, six, seven was where he willed his team to win uh, to victory. And he hadn't done that in his career yet. And the fact that it took him till his seventh year seems like a long time, mainly because we were spoiled by Sidney Crosby. But it took Ovechkin that long to have playoff success. Surprisingly, it, it took Gretzky that long. People didn't realize that when you go back and see he had some pay playoff failures and lost in the finals before they finally won in Edmonton and all that. Um, and on all these guys, they had numbers. Iserman, these, these great players, it took them to about this time to finally have the light go on and realize, I can't just score goals and set up goals to win the Stanley Cup. I need to play 200 feet. I need to be physical when I have to be physical. I need to be able to, to take physicality from the opponents when, when it comes. Um, and all that, I think, maybe the light's gone on for McDavid with that. So that's one way it goes. If that's the case, they could win the Cup this year. They could, even with a 40-year-old goaltender. I'm not confident of that, but they could because he's that good a player and he seems to have the light's gone on. But also what could happen is he's been hearing about these playoff failures for a long time. Not, not as long as the Leafs, but for a long time, you know, since his, the, the, was it was a 17, 18 or was it 16, 17 when they went to the second round, it's been a while yeah. and you know, they got through it. You saw it in his reaction. The happy, you don't see that from McDavid very often. He, he's one elated guy. He's one guy who maybe is a little bit of a feeling of relief. There's a slight possibility that he kind of exhales. 
And if he exhales against Daryl Sutter and the Calgary Flames, he's not going to have a very good series. I think we're more likely the former than the latter. I think he has gotten over the hump, and now look out. I think that's where we're headed. But there is a slight possibility it goes the other way where he takes a breath, and he doesn't have a perfect team around him yet. If he takes a breath, that team's not, they're done. Um, so it'll, that's another fascinating element of this second round. Calgary is going to give him a little bit of something L.A. did not. And you mentioned L.A. had been in the playoffs and all that, but that's not this Kings team. This is the fourth youngest team in the league, the Kings. Uh, this had Kopitar, yes, did not have Doughty, but Kopitar and Quick, that's it. The rest of this was a very young team, and without Doughty, that defense score, I, to be honest with you, they shouldn't have had to go seven games, Edmonton, to beat the, the, that Kings team. So that leads me to worry a little bit about them as well going into this Calgary series because Calgary is a, a better team. But uh, having said that, I watched that series. I didn't see – while Deneau did a great job in terms of angling and he's such a great defensive two-way center, he didn't he didn't poke the bear. He didn't – he didn't try to get Connor off his game that way. I kind of think that Matt Kachuk and some of these uh, the Flames are going to do that. And history tells me that Connor doesn't like that. Even the Flyers got under his skin, as you remember, early in his career, the whole you know, the whole Brandon Manning thing where they, they actually <laughs> believe that he intentionally injured him early in his career. And remember chasing him around yeah. the ice at the Wells Fargo Center? So now he's matured since then. So don't get me wrong. He was 21 then, 20. You know, now he's, he's 25. So he's matured, and he's matured a lot here in the last couple of years, I think. But he's going to probably have to live up to that, too. I think Calgary's going to physically try to get at him a little bit. And a lot of people say you can't hit what you can't catch. You're not going to hit him when he's in open ice. But everybody's along the wall at some point. And Connor's starting to get more physical now, and I think people have noticed it, and they're kind of giving him plaudits for it. But when you get more physical, you usually then have to take that back. And, uh, you know, Milan Lucic might find him at some point in a corner and, and you know, hammer him. Um, and there's plenty of guys on Calgary who will do that. And then do the little, you know, the little chirping and the little, and we'll see if Connor can handle that aspect. I don't think he was tested in that way by the Kings at all. I think he will be uh, by the Flames. So, again, fascinating. I, I do believe watching Connor, though, we are to the point where he is, the, belt, the light's gone on. He's in his seventh year. He's 25. He's middle-aged by hockey standards now. I think he might be ready to take that next step. I'm not sure his team is quite ready, but I, I think he's ready to be that 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 all-around leader, the player, the, the guy who's got all. Steve Eiserman was much the same way for first half of his career. was an offensive whiz, put up ridiculous numbers, but he didn't really care too much about his own end of the ice. He'll tell you this. And then – Scotty Bowman arrived and all of a sudden things changed and he learned about being a leader in the whole 200 foot thing. And uh, he became one of the best all around players the league's ever seen. So um, if McDavid has truly learned that he, that he could dominate this league, like we've never seen it dominated for the next five or six years while he's in his physical prime uh, because he's finally reaching his mental prime. If, if you will. Um, I, I do think that especially up North of the border, they've pumped him up to be, already that and he has not if he was already that his team they might not have won a cup but they would have at least won some series i mean for crying out loud they'd won one playoff series with him until this win over the kings and it's a seven win seven game win over a team that was without his best defenseman uh, so i'm not quite sh ready to say he's over that hump but watching him the eye the eye you know the the eyes tell you he is and if he is look out nhl look out calgary flames and 
look out anybody who gets in his way because what he can do with the puck with speed is is just absolutely insane and it's practically unstoppable so uh the, the calgary's gonna do whatever they can to maybe get him off his game but if he's on his game big time trouble it's i think the biggest thing that edmonton's gonna have to deal with with uh, as far as calgary as opposed to la it's just high-end talent. The Kings didn't have a single player with over 70 points. Yeah. The Flames got 200-point players, three 40-goal scorers. Like, there's some high-end skill on that Flames team that uh, Edmonton's going to have to contend with that they didn't have to deal with in the first round. Yeah, and, and while Jonathan Quick played extremely well in that series and has been a great goaltender, he's not Markstrom. Markstrom right now is one of the top goaltenders in the league. So big advantage, Markstrom over Smith, in my opinion, in that series. So it's tough to overcome a huge advantage in a playoff series in net. Uh, now, can Smith, he played well first round. Can he rise to the occasion to at least make it a wash in goal? If he does, I like Edmonton's chances. But you're right. There, there's no Johnny Gaudreau on, on the Kings. There's a lot of that whole line, to be honest with you. There's no yeah. offensive line like that with the Kings. I mean, Kopitar's line is no more for being able to shut other teams down. So is the nose than they are for scoring. They do score mainly because they're so good defensively and they get the puck into the offensive zone. This team, as you know, this line can score either on the four check on the rush on the power play, however you want to do it. That line can score the best line in hockey this year by all numbers. If you go Absolutely. by analytics or running numbers. So that will be a challenge because that's not a, a stout Edmonton team defensively. They did play a lot better under Woodcroft def defensively. Um, given that, which makes no sense because Dave Tippett was a defensive coach, but uh, uh, they did. There's no, you can't argue the numbers. Edmonton played much better after the coaching change from a defensive standpoint. So we'll see. Um, but I had just so many things to look for in that series as there are in all four. Yeah. I can't wait. Well, Jim, we're winding down here, man. So near the end of the show, I usually like to uh, just, you know, hand the floor over to the guest. Anything you want to promote, hype up, talk about, anything you <laughs> want to announce, the, the floor is yours, man. Mm. Give a little stump speech. <laughs> well, summer's begun, so I'm into broadcast coaching now. So uh, just go to jimjacksonbroadcasting.com. There's information there. But basically, I do three one-hour Zooms with people from any age, really, 12. I've got a, I've had 12-year-olds. I've had 57-year-olds. So um, people who are just getting involved in broadcasting people are in college people are just out of college young professionals um uh, basically just go through all the fundamentals of broadcasting doesn't have to be play-by-play -play. can be sideline reporting can be anchoring can be uh podcasting i talked i do podcasters so um anything um and just check it out and i love it i started doing it once uh, i wasn't doing the phillies anymore and uh it's very rewarding it's a lot of fun i've got Several people just graduated, so uh, you're almost like uh, a proud papa. So um, things that, and then I'm also, you know, I'm on Cameo and I do all these other things too. So uh, just check it out. And um, that's it. Summertime, uh, it's going to be a big summer for the Flyers. So uh, coaching hire, probably the first thing. The draft, big high pick there. Uh, I think that they're probably going to be active in terms of the trade market and maybe free agency if they can figure out a way to get around the cap. So a huge off season. So certainly a lot to look for there. Uh, and then before you know it, it'll be uh, September and back to a regular training camp and uh, ready for the season. Yeah, looking forward to some normalcy uh, when the season starts again. Let's hope. Yeah. <laughs> not been much normal about the last two and a half years. That's for sure. No, absolutely not. Well, for Jim Jackson, I'm Dave Leonard, the real Delco Dave. Thanks for hanging out with us guys.